I'm Polly. I'm a mom, a wife, a pelvic floor physical therapist, and founder of No Kegels University. I have helped thousands of women stop leaking, enjoy intimacy, and feel proud of their bodies, even after having kids. After years of listening to women wonder why no one talks about leaking, how they should properly recover after having a baby, and that pleasurable intimacy is possible, I started to get real frustrated because I believe that no mom or woman should struggle when there are answers. It became my mission to shed light on the lack of postpartum care and the lack of discussion on issues that relate to women and their health, even if they can be uncomfortable sometimes. It also became my mission to change the conversation on women's health, the pelvic floor, and more. Here we go. Episode three, the best ways to strengthen your pelvic floor. In today's episode, I want to share with you my method for strengthening the pelvic floor and give you the logic and the rationale behind it. Now, don't be nervous. I'm not going to go super deep into the science or the neuroscience about this. I want to make it something where you understand pretty easy without too much brain power, so to speak. Not that I don't think you're capable of it, but I would rather you take this information and then run with it rather than us spending a ton of time really understanding the science part. If you want to talk about it, you're welcome to message me on the socials and we can chat there. But I'll first give you a little bit of background. So when I came out of physical therapy school, the way that they were teaching a lot of pelvic floor stuff, and I'm not saying it was all about kegels, but a good chunk of it was. We would do short holds. We would do long holds. And I started to wonder, man, we don't do this for any other body part or any other muscle group. Like when I'm helping someone with their biceps or their quads, I don't have them like hold and relax and hold and relax as part of their entire treatment. I just thought it was kind of odd. And then I started to realize that for some of my patients, kegels weren't working. And I also realized because it did say in the research, and this was something that I quoted all of the time, the research says you have a 30% chance if it's explained to you visually or auditory, like, um, like if you hear it auditory, that you have a 30% chance of doing it the right way. But in my experience, which in the very beginning, it wasn't that much experience at all, I would vouch to say that it's a lot less than that. When I had patients in my office and I would check their pelvic floor to see if they were doing a Kegel or a pelvic floor contraction correctly, they weren't. Sometimes people were bearing down, almost like they were trying to have a bowel movement or pass gas on purpose. And when I explained it to them, they would say, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm squeezing my pelvic floor muscles. I'm trying to stop the stream, but they would, they would be doing opposite or they would think that they're doing it right. And they'd be squeezing their bum cheeks together or their glutes, or they'd be squeezing their groin muscles or their hip adductors. And just using other muscles to help them make make their brain feel like they were doing something. And it wasn't wrong. I One of the phrases I often use, and I use this in quotes, is they're accidentally cheating. They're not doing it the right way, but they're not, they're not purposely cheating. They're just doing it on accident. And so I really dug in, man, if if 
if this is what's being preached, is it really the best thing? And so I started learning more, okay, what does the pelvic floor do on a normal physiological basis? What is it doing if it's strong? And so I learned about that. And then I started learning, okay, well, does this work with other muscles? Is it influenced by other muscles? And I started realizing that the research was starting to delve a little bit deeper into this, that the hips play a really big role as to what the pelvic floor is doing. And that actually, whatever our core is doing, it's not always tied to our pelvic floor like a lot of fitness professionals think. And dare I say, the way that I was taught coming out of physical therapy school, that you needed to teach that your core muscles and your pelvic floor muscles tighten together. And I went down this road of just being a feeling very confused and not feeling like I was doing the best job that I actually could do. And if you don't know me in real life and you've never met me, while I probably have some OCD and type A personality tendencies, it comes from a good place. I just really wanted to be doing a really good job for my patients so that When I walked away, and maybe selfishly, there was a component there too that I wanted to know I did a dang good job for these people, and maybe I just wanted to hear about it. But really, as people got stronger, I got to see such a change in their countenance, and and just the way that they carried themselves was different, just the way that their faces looked. It was different because of how their pelvic floor influenced their life. And I wanted to be able to do more and serve more and give more to women that needed this. So as I dug in, I ended up, and it took me years to put a name to this, but the name is this, VAB3, V-A-B-3. So the V is for vertical, A is above, B is below, and three is all three planes. So let me go through each of these and give you some ideas and of what some examples might be. And this way you'll be able to walk away and compare, okay, if I'm doing yoga, does that hold up to the VAB3 method? If I'm running or lifting weights, how does that hold up to the VAB3 method? I want you to have some takeaways in this. So let's get into it. So V for vertical is anytime our pelvic floor senses a downward motion from our organs our pelvic floor contracts to support those organs as well as creating more tension around the urethra so that we don't leak. So let me tell you what I mean by this. More than likely, you have leaked, possibly, (laughs) if you're listening to this, you've leaked when you've jumped. But you don't leak as you're coming low into that squat before you take up and jump into the air, you leak on the downward, the weight acceptance. And if you can imagine, as your body is coming down out of the air and you land, that jarring motion, it's going to speed up that downward movement of all of the guts in your belly. And that pelvic floor senses that, almost like someone's stepping on your bladder or stepping on a balloon. And so that pelvic floor will tighten a little extra to support all those organs, but also squeeze against your urethra so you don't leak. So if this is what's happening naturally and physiologically, and then if our muscles aren't strong enough, then we can utilize this vertical motion as part of our strengthening process without us having to do kegels. Let's use what nature and what's happening physiologically, let's use it to our benefit. 
So using vertical motion in our pelvic floor strengthening process or programming is essential. A is for above. So this could mean any structure or whether that's a muscle or a joint above the pelvis or the pelvic floor. So a lot of times I'll reference the core, and I know I have already said that the core and the pelvic floor don't work together, but they do influence each other. The pressure in our abdomen also influences that pelvic floor and our thoracic spine and our lumbar spine. So the middle part of our spine, the central part of it, and then the lower part of our spine influence that pelvic floor as well. So making sure you have really great motion in your thoracic spine or the mid or central spine and low spine, your lumbar spine, that is important. And if those joints are moving well, then those muscles also get to respond to all of that movement and they will eventually, assuming you're exercising and applying appropriate strengthening principles, they will become strong as well. But let me dive a little deeper into some of this pressure, this pressure idea, because as we inhale and exhale, as our lungs fill, there is a volume displacement happening in our abdomen. Um, Increased abdominal pressure is what it's called, but let's just call it the pressure. It'll make more sense. So if you can imagine that as you inhale, your lungs fill with air, your diaphragm descends, that is going to put a displacement or change the volume, if you will. And so your guts should move downward and out of the way. And because this isn't forceful, like it was with vertical, it's just a gentle pressure displacement. As those guts move downward, the pelvic floor is going to slowly soften, if you will, and lengthen. And then as you exhale and the air is expelled from the lungs, the diaphragm is going to rise again. And then because of that volume displacement, it's not there anymore. The guts will rise and the pelvic floor will slowly rise. This is a pressure system that is supposed to be there. And this can be disrupted with pregnancy because your center of gravity changes. Um, We're taught to hold our bellies in and engage our core before we insert whatever activity it might be. And so really establishing good pressure flow and good breathing and appropriate pelvic floor response to that gentle diaphragmatic breathing and breath can play a huge role on what's happening above, A for above, for our pelvic floor strengthening journey. So that is one thing that I like to establish with my patients and coaching clients is that that is there and moving well. And as well as strengthening. So the back needs to be strong. The abdominal muscles need to be strong. Your shoulders need to be strong. Your neck needs to be strong. That can all play a role. Think of the weakest link. Think of a chain reaction. If there's weakness, it's going to, it's going to influence what happens either up or down the chain. Which leads me to B, below. So this more references, um, again, that chain reaction idea, but also what we also know about the pelvic floor is they found that whatever, whenever the hip muscles are activated or contracted, the pelvic floor closely follows. When the hip muscles are not working, they also found that the pelvic floor wasn't working very well well or very much or very often either. And so one of the phrases I'll say is whatever the hip does or doesn't do, the pelvic floor does or doesn't do. 
So by making sure that your hip is strong, by nature of of that, your pelvic floor will follow suit. Also, if your knee and your foot and your ankle are strong, the joints have great range of motion. Again, think of that idea of that chain reaction or weakest link, making sure that, that your knee, your hip, your ankle, your foot, that those muscles are strong that will play a role into how that pelvic floor gets to work. So this one tends to confuse people sometimes. And the story I like to tell is before I had kids, I had a major foot surgery. And so I wasn't able to put weight on it for a period of time. And then it got infected. And when I was finally able to you know, barely walk, I wanted to get back to the dance class I was doing. And my first day back, I was leaking. And I was so embarrassed because I am a pelvic floor physical therapist for heaven's sakes. And I can't even keep up with the rest of the class. And I haven't even had kids. It felt, I felt very defeated, but then I realized, oh, well, I haven't been putting a lot of weight on my foot. And so that's going to affect what's happening at my knee. That's going to affect what's happening at my hip. And then in turn, even though I didn't have kids, that's going to affect what's happening at my pelvic floor as well. So what I ended up doing was I implemented the VAB3 method and in no time I was dancing with no leakage. So hopefully that kind of helps illustrate that B part of the VAB3 method a little better. And then three is all three planes. So we are 3D people living in this beautiful 3D world. But the interesting thing is and this is probably an episode for another day, but a lot of the times we train in one, sometimes in two planes, we never train in all three planes, even though we live that way, which is kind of odd to me that if one of the reasons we work out is to be strong and to be able to keep up with our kids, or, you know, if we were an athlete in high school or whatever, we we're training at a lower level than what we're necessarily living our life. And that never made sense to me. And in part of my journey, I also realized that our pelvic floor is the only group of muscles in our body that has fibers that run in all three planes. And how I wish this was on a YouTube video so I could show you. You can go ahead and Google pelvic floor anatomy pictures and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. But before I do that, I think I skipped a part here. So the three planes is sad. And this part might be confusing, but sagittal, frontal, and transverse plane. But let me break it down a little bit so it's a little more understandable. So that is any movement that is front to back. So that's one plane, any movement that is side to side, that's the second plane. And then any movement that's diagonal or rotational. So when you look at these pelvic floor muscles, you will see that there's muscles that run front to back from the pubic bone back to our rectum or pubic bone to the vaginal opening. And there's some that run side to side. The few that come to mind is superficial transverse perineal and deep transverse perineal. I know, I know (laughs) these names probably mean nothing to you, but if you wanted to look them up so that you could see, and then if you wanted to look at the ones and I'm not naming all of them, there's 12 muscles in total. Um, the ones that kind of span at a different angle. So pubococcygeus is one, um, ischiococcygeus is one, 
and you'll see that they kind of span and their their angle is a little bit different than just front to back and side to side. So understanding that, I mean, I realize I'm probably a little biased because I am a pelvic floor physical therapist, but I would really like to make the argument that the core maybe isn't the core. Our pelvic floor should be the most important muscle group that we should be working because it is the only muscle group in our body that has all three or that has fibers that run in all three planes. So the way that I like to implement this is that any exercise that I have in my programming for my patients and coaching clients is that we are utilizing all three planes of motion. So what this might look like is, so a squat, for example, does the pelvic floor work with a squat? Yes, because you have that vertical motion. Yes, because you have the below, right? You're working your glutes or your hip muscles and your knee muscles are involved and so is your foot and your ankle. But it's in one plane. It's up and down. We can just call that front to back. So what if we changed your foot position? What if we turned your toes out like a sumo squat? Okay, well, that's one more plane that we have accomplished. So what if we turned your foot or maybe had you place your foot, um, one foot, not in front of the other, like you're walking a tightrope, take a step forward, freeze, and then squat in that position. Make sure you stick your bum back, not like a lunge, or you could even place your feet a little wider to create that second plane side to side. So that is a, that's a couple of ideas that you could take a squat where you are working your pelvic floor, but you're getting all three planes. It's a very useful exercise for that pelvic floor. So this isn't the place for me to explain all these exercises because it's going to be hard, but let's take this fab three method and let's compare it to some common workouts. So weightlifting, for example, is one, and I really love it. I think it's a great form of exercise. I love what I love how weights can really transform the body besides giving lots of bone strength and muscle strength. But a lot of times weightlifting is done in just one plane, right? With squats or bicep curls, right? Front to back, front to back. Maybe you might do like a lateral raise. Okay, well, that's part of the shoulder, but that's not all the shoulder. So is that working the pelvic floor? Not necessarily, but... I might add something else into that. So you could take a look at, you know, maybe yoga. That's one of my other favorite forms is you get a lot of front to back, side to side, and diagonal or rotational. Now, depending on who is putting together the flows or the poses, I have noticed that there's some there's sometimes that those yoga poses, they actually miss that diagonal or rotational component. So at the end of that class, or maybe later on that day, I might throw in some diagonal or rotational components, whether that's a, another yoga pose, maybe I'll add some different, you know, squats in there to target that pelvic floor in all three planes, more in the diagonal and rotational component or plane. So I'm getting appropriate strengthening for my pelvic floor. Another one that I like to bring up is biking because a lot of women like doing this or moms, I should say, they like doing it with their kids. And unfortunately it's one plane and it's not weight bearing, which that's part of the vertical V for vertical in this method. So 
If you're just riding your bike front to back, front to back, front to back, we're missing those, the side to side or diagonal rotational. So, and I'm not one to say, okay, well, don't ever do that exercise. Listen, if you love riding a bike, go ahead and ride that bike. But what I would also say is, go ahead and add a little bit more in. So by adding a little bit more in, you can count that day as, okay, well, I worked on my pelvic floor that day. And I'll also suggest that you don't need to work on your pelvic floor every single day, unless you're trying to strengthen it and get and get it to a maintenance mode. Typically, I suggest about three to five days a week for at least 10 to 15 minutes. But of course, programming for each person and depending on where you're at might be a little bit different. So if you're taking a look at this VAB3 method and saying, oh man, I'm missing some components. Well, let me give you a couple other options in here. So I really love dance class and I'm talking turn some nice hip hop or R&B or rock music and dance. You may or may not love this. There's a YouTube channel called Shine Dance Fitness, and I feel like they hit a lot of the V, a lot of the A, the B, and the three in this. And so I try to make sure if a lot of my workouts that week didn't include a lot of components of the VAB3 method for my pelvic floor, that I try to add in at least 10 to 15 minutes of this shine dance fitness class into what I'm doing. This might also look like high fitness. And I know not everybody loves that because um, it can be pretty hard on your joints. But if you're doing a ton of high fitness classes and you start to notice, oh, we're not getting a ton into that diagonal or rotational plane. Okay, well, maybe later that day you could add some of those components in, or maybe you just don't count that day as part of your pelvic floor strengthening day. I realize that this is not an all-encompassing, this is exactly how to strengthen your pelvic floor, but hopefully you can take this FAB3 method and implement it into what you're doing and hold up what you are doing against this because more than likely you have some of these components. I don't think you need to throw everything out the window and start fresh. Take what you like and then if you need to add a little extra to strengthen that pelvic floor or to maintain that pelvic floor strength, then go ahead and do that. So to wrap up today, here is your homework. First piece of homework. I want you to write this out, VAB3, and I want you to take some of your workouts or just some of your physical activity like hiking, which is great because there's different vertical components, even though it's not as much force as jumping. You have different planes, you're working muscles below. That's a really great option. So whether it's hiking or biking or high fitness or weights or yoga or swimming, take this VAB3 and hold it up against what you're already doing. Again, you're probably already having great pieces of this in here, but now you can just take it to the next level and really ensure that your pelvic floor is getting strong. And the second part of the homework is if you end up really struggling with this piece, schedule a pelvic floor strategy call with me. In 15 minutes, you and I will come up with at least three strategies for you and your pelvic floor. Take your current workout and hold it up to that VAB3 method and see where we can improve. And then you'll walk away with at least one month's worth of pelvic floor strengthening exercises. Remember, you're an heiress and a queen and everything in between. 
If you enjoyed this episode or even wondered if I can help you, check the show notes for more details. And to see what else I'm up to, follow me on the socials at Beyond the V, period, by Polly. Because I'm changing the conversation on women's health, the pelvic floor, and more, I still need your help. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend or two. See you next week.